Welcome to Between the Shelves, the premier Save a Library podcast. This week I'm joined by Tori. Hello. Christina. Hello. Oh, and I'm Alex, by the way. And it is May, so we are going to do a special anime episode. And I brought in Tori and Christina because you two are anime fans, fanimes, if you will. <laughs> and we will. So we're going to be going over what, how we got into anime, um, some of our favorite anime shows, and in the later portion of the episode, we're going to be, we all watched what is probably considered one of the greatest anime shows called Neon Genesis. Neon Genesis Evangelion, and we're going to be doing a little re recap and review of that. So stay tuned for that. But before we get into the weeds with anime, let's just, for our listeners who might not be anime heads, who might not even know what that means, let's just kind of set the table here. So anime is a short abbreviation for animation, and it's usually in conjunction with uh, Japanese animation in particular. So when you hear anime, we're talking about animated films and shows that were popularized, at least in Japan. Um, anime has been around for as long as Western animation has been around. Um, it's kind of run parallel, I think, um, with its development, and it's kind of diverged a little bit, and we'll get into that as we start talking about some of our favorite shows. But... Um, yeah, is there anything you want to add to that? The only thing I would I would think to add is um it's like you said it's developed alongside western animation at much at the same time and often influenced by and inspired by western animation, but it also has its own very specific tropes and art styles and people who are known in that industry and in that art form. So similar fan bases, similar thing going on to western animation and the way that that has become popular in the u.s and in the west but two roads that diverged very much with in terms of their style and their what they entail i would say right and even content too yeah. i would say you know in, in the west i think what we think of when we think animation the first thing that comes to mind is usually disney um and then with that you know children's movies or family movies um i would say in japan they still have that obviously but I think animation, anime holds a different space in their culture where I don't want to say it's more mature, but it can it, be, it can be. And it covers a wide range of, of genres. I think animation in the West is a lot of times geared towards children more recently, maybe less so, but anime definitely there's for children, there's for adults, there's for everyone in between any genre, any type of media that you can think of. There is an anime or a manga of that. Yeah. Anything you want to add, Christina? No, I don't know any of the history. <laughs> Just a casual consumer. That's fine. I mean, I, I'm i pretty casual myself. I wouldn't say I'm like hardcore anime. You're not fan. no otaku? No. I don't even know what that means. That's good. I, I don't want yeah, to. Yeah, when, when you said anime fans, I was like, there's a name for this. Uh -huh. And it's not good. <laughs> right, well, maybe, Tori, since you are familiar with the uh, the terminology that's associated with it, like anime fandoms, do you want to give us like an introduction to it? Um. Or should we save that for when we get into some shows that we like? Unlike a lot of other things that have fandoms, specific shows and stuff don't honestly usually have fandom names when it comes to anime, but there are terms that are associated with it. Like an otaku is somebody who, not just about anime, but about 
pretty much anything. It's like a nerd, like a nerd and nerd culture in the U.S., but like a super nerd for whatever thing super nerd for anime to the point that it has almost a negative connotation but a lot of western anime fans have sort of co-opted the phrase so if they're a big fan of anime they might call themselves an otaku but sometimes it has the negative connotation over there the way that like a weeb would be here a weeb or a weeaboo is like somebody who's really obsessed with japanese culture and japanese media in a negative sense so in that, that's sort of an otaku in Japan, but here it's more of a positive, you just really like anime. Okay. So you called me a weeb a few weeks ago, <laughs> and, and that was an insult. And it, it was an endearing insult. This podcast is over. <laughs> it's going to be uh, some tension in the room for the remainder of the podcast. <laughs> no, I'm kidding. So yeah, so, so what's everyone's history with anime? Like, we're all 90s kids, right? Tori, you're a little bit younger than Christina. We're the same age, right? I found I discovered anime in the 90s, which is when a lot of Westerners kind of discovered it. Uh, the golden age, I think, of anime was kind of like the mid 80s to early 90s. And then it kind of U.S. was kind of lagging behind Japan. So like something would come out and we get it either a few years or a few months later. So when I was growing up in the 90s, uh, we were I was watching Dragon Ball, then Dragon Ball Z then Gundam, uh, all these shows were on Cartoon Network. So that's how I was watching them. And they would, I think they were a few months behind Japan. So an episode would come out in Japan and then we get it a couple of months later. So that's kind of like how I got started. That was my introduction to anime. And if you're not familiar with those shows, they're just basically like Japanese superhero shows, sort of, like to put it in the most basic terms. You know, they're, they're aimed for kids, probably like 5 to 15, which is exactly what I was in during that time. So... Uh, that's kind of was my introduction. And then when I got a little bit older, maybe towards high school, I started, I love movies. So I started looking into anime movies and then that's kind of where anime, I've gotten my anime fill pretty much up until now, until I watched the show that we're going to review later on. So that's kind of my history with anime. I'm sure maybe Christina, you maybe had a similar experience. Um, a little bit. I think Sailor Moon was probably on earlier than that. We didn't always have cable, so I couldn't always watch Sailor Moon because Cartoon Network was a premium channel. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I remember going over to friends' houses and watching like sporadic episodes of Sailor Moon, then Pokemon, of course. Yes. Which led me to Digimon and then Card Captors, just all of like the Saturday morning anime. I can't believe I forgot to mention Pokemon. Yeah, yeah. I, that was our. Every millennial has some experience and dabbled with Pokemon at some point. Um, yeah, that was probably the show that just blew up anime in the West. Maybe, well, there were popular shows before that, but that one, you know, everyone and their grandmother knows what Pokemon is now. Um, yeah, so Sailor Moon is kind of like, I never watched Sailor Moon, not because it was like a quote unquote girls show, but I just never, I don't know, I maybe I was, I don't know, maybe I'm misremembering, but is it kind of like the girls version of Dragon Ball, or is it kind of more I mean, like Power Rangers Eve? They do fight evil by moonlight. They do. I feel like in terms of its place in like the oh. the zeitgeist, it it takes the same place for like quote unquote the girls version yeah. because it, it, in the nineties it was everyone's main gateway to watching stuff. But in terms of the content, they definitely are very dissimilar. Very dissimilar. Very okay. dissimilar. <laughs> so there's. Sailor Moon, Pokemon. Did you watch any of the movies growing up or 
was that the extent uh, of uh, of anime? Not until Spirited Away did I watch a movie. Yeah, Spirited Away is Studio Ghibli. They're a very famous anime studio from Japan, and Spirited Away is probably their most successful release, maybe ever. I'm trying to think of anything that might come close. It famously is the only anime to win any Oscars ever. <clears throat> Excuse me, it won the Best Animated Picture in 2001. So that's kind of its claim to fame. But I, I remember that coming out and being a huge deal. What about you, Tori? What's your anime experience? I think, like you guys, like in the late 90s, I watched a lot of stuff that was on TV that was available. But at the time, I wasn't thinking of it as anime because I was too young to know what that was. So I was a big fan of Sailor Moon. I would watch it when I got home from school. But when I really got into anime was like probably somewhere 2000 to 2005. Um, I had a family member who would get things from me on, for me on the internet. And we would watch just all of these shows that were coming out at the time, stuff from the 90s that... It was really hard to get a hold of anime back then. Um, just it wasn't available. There wasn't YouTube to for people to post stuff illegally. So it was really tough um, to find things. But we would just watch so many shows, and that's when I really got into it. Um, watching some stuff that that not like Sailor Moon, where it had been like nicely translated for us, stuff with subtitles that people made online and posted for other people. That was when I <clears throat> really got into it. But I also liked the Studio Ghibli's. I had VHS tapes of like Totoro and Kiki's Delivery Service when I was a kid. Yeah. But is it safe to say that like Studio Ghibli is kind of like the Japanese Japan's equivalent of Disney sort of. They're like their major production studio. They do family films. Studio Ghibli also does very very adult films as well. Um, or uh, films geared towards adults. You're talking about Grave of the Fireflies? Yes. Yes. <laughs> I think that's fair to say. I think they make stuff that captures your heart in the way that a Disney movie does. Right. And it hits the same heartstrings. Yeah, absolutely. My Neighbor Totoro specifically, I think that's that was that's a very famous one because it's actually the icon for their, their company. It's now the Totoro. You might have seen it. It looks like a giant rabbit i guess mouse kind of creature bear guy yeah he's like a bear rabbit mouse thing <laughs> he's totoro he's totoro yeah yeah so studio ghibli that was kind of my transition to like more serious anime but like the one thing thinking back on like my childhood it was one of the only shows like dra- talking about dragon ball and dragon ball z and, and gundam and the shows that i was watching i can't think of any other shows that had like a story that would carry over week to week like every other cartoon or animated show was very serialized you know they're just like they're standalone episodes or usually a comedy or something but like dragon ball i don't know if sailor moon was like this too but like you know there would be story arcs that would go multiple seasons like forever it would just go on and i don't know that was really like captivating for me as like a young preteen. you know it was like it felt like very adult you know it, it wasn't like oh i'm watching cartoons cartoons are for kids like this was like a story that i was invested in you know i could talk about it with my friends i think that's probably why it has such like a a lasting effect on people like people really get into anime and love it for their whole lives from childhood to adulthood because 
so many of the properties have such great crossover appeal. Like, it can be for a kid, but there's stuff in there for adults, not in the way of, like, Rugrats will make, like, a, a joke that only an adult would get, but the vibe and the mood of the pieces are all anyone could enjoy them. There's something for all ages, especially with like you were talking about Studio Ghibli. It's a great crossover into I like cartoons because I'm a kid, but I also like films because I'm an adult. It has all of those things. And I think that's a, a very interesting thing about anime as opposed to some Western animation. Not to not to put down Western animation because I like it too, but it's very unique to anime, I think. Yeah, it occupies a, a unique space where, you know, Studio we can get it. Let's talk about Studio Ghibli for a minute. So, or Ghibli. Is it Ghibli or Ghibli? Is it Jif or Gif? I think it's I think it's supposed to be Ghibli, but I've always said both Ghibli. are good. They uh, Their first movie came out in 84. I was not alive to watch this then, but um, they really came to fruition in, like, the peak golden era of anime. Like, in the 80s in Japan, they were having, like, an economic boom, and the genre, the anime was already popular at that point. And when the economic boom happened, all of a sudden there was a huge influx of money into producing more anime. So with more money comes, you know, bigger production budgets. They can do more. They can do bigger stories. They can experiment more. So Studio Ghibli came in at the perfect time. And their first movie, um, Nausicaa, Valley, oh, something of the wind. I forget what it is already. Nausicaa of the Valley of the Wind. Of the Valley of the Wind was stunning. Uh, its artwork was stunning for its time. Like, it, every frame of that movie looks, is technically like a painting. Like, it, it's some of those gorgeous animation probably ever at that time. And then they just kept building on that. So a few years later, they have Grave of the Fireflies comes out, My Neighbor Totoro, a couple of years after that. Then they have Howl's Moving Castle, spirited away and they just keep building and building and building and it's just super high quality production one after another and i think you know disney around this time was also having like their renaissance they were coming out with some great stuff but it was very family focused again and studio ghibli my neighbor totoro that's a very family friendly movie um if you are interested in getting into anime and you have kids um, that's a good place to start, I would say. But some of their other films are absolutely not good places to start. Um, Princess Mononoke, which is one of my favorite anime films ever. Very adult. It's like, it's a war movie. Like, it's pretty gritty. There's some pretty vivid imagery, I would say. Um, and then Grave of the Fireflies, which I think we've all seen here. That's a tearjerker. I mean, that is some heavy movie i've heard people say uh, that they don't need to watch grave of the fireflies more than once you, you only need to see it once because it's so for context it's about world war ii um and it's about two children who are on their own and trying to survive on their own during a war to varying success yeah their town is bombed by the u.s forces and they are basically living in the countryside um, and it's a brother and a, a sister. And the mm-hmm. sister is very young, like four or something. Um, and the boy's preteen. So the whole movie is just about them surviving and the war going on in the background. And it's a very, very heavy movie. I don't want to spoil anything, but... It's the definition of a downer, for sure. Mm-hmm. Definitely. But it's so well done. Yeah. The well- imagery is 
I've only I've only seen it once. I would have to be in a very specific mood to like want to watch that again, but it's one of my favorite movies. Like it's so well done. Some other movies that came out um, around the time that I watched, you know, growing up, was Akira and Ghost in the Shell. Have you seen either of those movies? I haven't seen Akira, but I've read the manga. Oh really? That's you one up to me there. <laughs> um, it's a very long manga. It's what like it's six volumes here now. I don't know like the publication history of it but there are it's pretty hefty yeah uh, akira is um i i think it's probably one of the quintessential anime films like it came out in 88 um and that's really interesting about akira is they, they were still writing the manga manga while the movie was in production so it's kind of like game of thrones i guess would be an equivalent now with the books so the, the author of the manga is also the director of the movie. So it, that's just a very interesting how he was kind of developing both at the same time. And they tell the same story. Obviously, the manga expands a lot on the beats of the movie. But I thought that was inter- an interesting factoid about Akira. But anyways, Akira, again, that was one of those movies that came out like in the peak golden era of anime. And... It's still, it's animation still holds up to today. Like you can put it toe to toe with any movie that's out right now and it looks immaculate. Like the animation is just superb. I've never, surprisingly, I've never seen Akira or Ghost in the Shell, but I know that they are like filmmakers' favorite animes. People love those movies and people constantly reference them in their own movies and TV shows. Like the, the famous, Drift. the bike slide from Akira has been in like hundreds of movies and TV shows, people recreating the shot because it was so dynamic and well done in an animation, but they do it live action. They do it animation. Like the influence of those movies is unbelievable for a f- type of movie that people don't consider to be artistic a lot of times, but yeah, it raised the bar for anime, but it also raised the bar for action films cinematography i mean the nice thing about what i appreciate a lot about anime is they really take advantage of the medium of animation where like they really compose their scenes like a director would or a cinematography like would dream they could compose a shot um which you don't really see very often in western animation i feel like it's very utilitarian in western animation where or very stylized like it's not supposed to be serious the drawing part of it and right. this the setup of the frames and things yeah in the way that anime can be yeah western animation is probably very influenced by like chuck jones like wild goofy animation you know styles like one another thing i like about anime is it's kind of like a musical where like everyone's emotion is very heightened you know everyone it's kind of like watching like a play or or a musical where like every character is kind of playing very archetypical archetype-esque characters but it's they play with it you know they're they're allowed to like be more louder or or more colorful with their storytelling because everything's not surface but they're allowed to play things fast and loose and do things that you don't usually see and they can heighten where they need to heighten to make a point or right yeah i think you made a good point about how they use the animation sometimes to express the emotions, which brings me back to Studio Ghibli, as most things do. But stuff that just sticks in your mind when you've seen it, like 
when a character's hackles are raised in a Studio Ghibli film, their hair will literally raise up in the air to express their concern or their heightened emotion in that moment. And it's stuff like that that sticks with you and really expresses emotions in a way that a, a person can't if they're acting. And a lot of times other animation does not. And it makes it very memorable and gets the point across really well. Yeah, I think a lot of people, like when they think anime, they they might have like a picture in their mind of like, you know, like somebody zooming across the screen in the background is kind of like this psychedelic, like just streaks or something, you know. And there is it, that. There's definitely that. <laughs> and, you know, that has like a whole reason behind it, too, because it was low production values and they needed to pump these episodes out like weekly episodes. And they were it's kind of like like how South Park is now where they're like they can churn out an episode in a week. And they, they were doing this with, you know, animated shows 20, 30 years ago. So that's kind of like how that style got developed, but that's still very present. And But now, as production values have increased, they're kind of keeping that style and just making it look better and better and better. Like, they don't have to use the shortcuts that the animators used 30 years ago, but they're just heightening it. They're keeping that, like, feel, but they're just making things look more better and better and better. And, and where I'm going with this is um, a new anime show that I very much enjoyed last year that, Tori, you recommended to me. It's the Cyberpunk Edge Runners show. So this is a show that was based off a a very popular video game that came out two years ago, year and a half ago, approximately. Um, And it's uh, it's a cyberpunk show. That's the genre. So it's set in like this ultra futuristic, high tech kind of Neo Tokyo sort of setting. Blade Runner s. Blade Runner, yeah. That's that's a good um, point of reference. Um, but this show, you know, there's a whenever there's action or anything happening, you know, a lot of the characters have like superhuman abilities. So whenever they kind of activate these abilities and they're doing superhuman feats, the the show becomes very very stylized, and they really like do some very cool like frame by frame animation where the background will be frozen, but the characters will be kind of moving, and you can see like the tracing, like an echo of them, kind of in previous frames, and it just super super stylized but it, it's so visually appealing it, it's it's really stunning stunning to watch i very very much enjoyed that show i'm glad you liked it and i ended up watching i think because we were talking about that show i ended up watching blade runner and really enjoying it and it's interesting to see the references and the inspiration because i think probably that game and cyberpunk 2077 and the show were both really heavily influenced by that whole genre of what is neo-noir type of futuristic neon nonsense like you could see it in that show and that was really nice how they how that came across through the animation yeah that's a a genre that's almost distinctly anime is that neo-noir if not for blade runner i think blade runner was the origins of it but japan really latched on to that the appeal and the aesthetic of blade runner the movie and kind of ran with it so blade runner comes out in like the early 80s then you get ghost in the shell akira that kind of expands on it and then it just keeps going on and on from there so that's like if that's like an aesthetic you're looking for like anime is where it's at because that's they run with that that style and i think it's sort of reciprocal the the style of that because i think blade runner had a lot of like based off of Tokyo and neon signs with Japanese writing and the streets were designed to look sort of like side streets in Tokyo. So I think it was a big hit there probably because they saw themselves in it and 
just the interchange of going back and forth has really developed cool stuff on both sides. Yeah, and that's another theme that kind of is like an echo through almost all of anime is American and Japanese cultures kind of oftentimes slamming into one another. <laughs> uh, like World War II is is like a backstory in almost every, or at least a theme in every anime in some way, you know, as, you know, it's understandable, you know, World War II was devastating for Japan. So there's, you know, it, it kind of creeps up in a, a lot of movies. And when it's such and an ingrained part of your culture, it's hard not to sure. have that creep into your media in some yeah. type of way. All right. So we, <laughs> we covered a, like a broad overview of, of anime in general. Let's take a quick break. And when we come back, we can talk about some of our favorite anime shows and movies. Does that sound good? Yeah. Sure. Okay. <laughs> okay, we are back. So we covered a very broad conversation in the beginning of the episode, but let's get a little more focused. What are some of our favorite animes? Maybe some animes we can recommend to some newcomers, people that are interested, because it is kind of overwhelming looking at it now, at least for me, like trying to get back into it. There's just so much out there nowadays. So let's kind of weed through this and uh, pull out some choice, some choice movies and shows that we can recommend to people or just stuff that we like. Um, I'll go first. Um, I already mentioned Akira. I would definitely hold off on that if you are... Uh, younger than maybe 16, 17. Um, it's very, very, very violent. Um, so definitely hold off on that, but um, uh, I highly recommend it. I already, we already talked about the Studio Ghibli film, so I won't go into that all again. But there's another director that I really like, and I'm sure maybe one of you will want to jump in on this as well. His name is, I hope I'm pronouncing this right, Satoshi Kon. So Satoshi Kon is... He's one of my favorite directors in anime. He's done four films. Each film he has made of these four, I have given five stars on Letterboxd. They are, he's five, I mean, he's four for four. He, he's knocking it out of the park. Um, so the, the four movies are Millennium Actress, Tokyo Godfathers, Paprika, and Perfect Blue. I'm sure at least one of those is on one of your lists, maybe, or you can vouch for me that they're good. I would recommend any of those okay. two as well. <laughs> So, fun fact about all of these, um, with the exception of Paprika, you can actually check them out now from home with your library card because they're all on Hoopla, the, the free app you get through the library. So, they're all um, definitely very adult, I would say, not, not for kids. So, one of uh, my very favorite films by this director Perfect, is called Perfect Blue. It's sort of like a psychological horror film about... Um, the main protagonist is a woman who her her faculties start to decline. I'll say that her mental faculties start to decline, and she, uh, or at least that's one way to interpret the movie. Um, but she starts to get very paranoid about the world around her, and she thinks she has a stalker, and maybe she does, maybe she doesn't. And so very like it's a psychological thriller horror sort of story. But um, this movie was actually in uh, was the inspiration for two films by Darren Aronofsky. Uh, one is Black Swan with Natalie Portman, which won a bunch of Oscars. So if you like that movie, you should see what it's based off of. And another movie uh, that Tori reminded me is called Requiem for a Dream, which is another psychological trippy horror movie uh, by the same director. So that all there are some elements of Perfect Blue that are definitely kind of has some overlap with Requiem for a Dream. So 
I think it lends credence to what you were saying in the previous segment because Darren Aronofsky was really inspired by the cinematography of Perfect Blue to the point where he took like shots from that movie and recreated them for Requiem, Requiem for a Dream. Mm-hmm. Um, so another case of anime being really influential for Western directors. Definitely. Um, the other film, Paprika, I actually discovered after watching the movie Inception because I had heard that the movie Inception was inspired by Paprika, and having seen it, I can verify that it absolutely is. So Paprika is very much about dreams within dreams. It's very, very trippy. I haven't seen it for a very long time, so I remember, I'm forgetting the plot points, but I remember it having a lot of overlap with the movie Inception. So, And it's a super high quality uh, art as well. So Very whimsical. Very whimsical, yeah. So definitely check that one out. If you're a fan of films, uh, Millennium Actress is a great like ode to films within a film. Um, yes about an aging actress who's doing an interview and going back through the history of her career in films and what she remembers and what she doesn't, but done really beautifully as well. Yeah, I really, really like that one. And uh, the last one, Tokyo Godfathers, is I I think this is a very good Christmas movie. Um, It's set during Christmas in Japan, but it's about three um, homeless people who they stump... I'm forgetting the exact plot points, but they find a baby, basically. And the movie is about them trying to return the baby to its parents. Um, and hijinks ensue. <laughs> so, but it's very, very heartwarming. It's funny. There's action sequences. It, it, it's very, it covers a lot of bases, um, but it's just so well done. And it, it's such a, good, such a good story. So this, this director, Satoshi Kon, uh, I highly, highly, highly recommend any of his films. Um, I already mentioned Ghost in the Shell. It's, you know, a pillar of the cyberpunk genre. So if you like cyberpunk, again, definitely check that one out. May I? Yeah, go. go. I'd like to add something about Satoshi Kon, since we're talking about him, because he was a great director. Um, Unfortunately, he's passed away, so... You won't be getting any more. No, very limited works. But he also has a TV show, an anime TV show that I've never seen, but I've heard is incredible, called Paranoia Agent. Paranoia Agent. Um, and he also wrote and drew several mangas that are very good. Tropic of the Sea, uh, Seraphim, and Opus. Um, Opus is incomplete. He never got to finish it. But it's also just as beautiful and thoughtful as his film work. I would yeah. I've never seen Paranoia Agent, but I very much, very much want to see that. So maybe if we do another episode, anime, next year, that can be our, our show that we review. Talking Paranoia Agent. One other one I, I just want to mention before I, I pass it on. Uh, there's another movie called Only Yesterday. Have you seen this? Uh, it's another anime movie, and it sort of has similar plot to Millennium Actress, where it's um, it bounces back and forth between the present and the past, where you, you're kind of following this the, the main protagonist's life and how she kind of ends up where she is and, and what she remembers and, and doesn't remember from her life and kind of like her regrets and everything and it reflects back on that and and how a relationship she had in her childhood is kind of coming back to her now and it's just a really really uh, wonderful story and um it just it's a great example of an animated an anime that does things that you don't see in western animation very often it's just it's telling very adult stories so those are those are the ones i wanted to mention who wants to go next oh i guess i do I haven't seen any movies, and I think my anime taste is a little probably basic. (laughs) 
So I apologize for that. Basic but, doesn't mean bad. No, it doesn't. But it's like, you know, the start here kind of places That's for perfect. a lot of genres. So Cardcaptor Sakura is probably like the biggest influence on my anime watching, which is a magical girl show. She's in middle school and she finds this book of cards in her dad's library, but the cards escape. So she has to use magic to put the cards back in the book. And the cards are also magical, so she can use them to capture other cards later. And it's very cute. And there's a sequel series where she's a little more grown up with a different set of cards. Um, and it's very strange. It's different from a lot of the magical girl stuff because she doesn't transform like that's a big part of the magical girl genre is like the transformation um her best friend sews all of her outfits so like before there's a big fight her best friend will like run home and be like i have to get your outfit i made the perfect one for this and so there's a lot of beautiful costume changes which i really appreciate um the other is digimon but only the first two seasons. Digimon is actually like an anthology show. Um, so the first two seasons are the same story. That one's Digimon Adventure. And then there's like Tamers and all kinds of other crazy stuff. And it is still going on. Mm -hmm. The most recent season just finished airing. But it is always compared to Pokemon because it's about monsters also. Um, but these are digital monsters. A very important distinction. A very important distinction. They're just pixels. Um, a bunch of kids at summer camp get pulled into the digital world. They have to save. Um, the Digiverse, right? Is that, Do they call it that? I don't know if they ever use the Digiverse. I, I remember the Digiverse, the, too. The Digi-Destined. Um, they're, they're the Digi-Destined. They have Digi-Vices. Everything is digi So I think it might be it. There's probably Digiverse. a Digiverse. comparison, it sounds like. But the first... Two seasons have like a current continuation also where they're like wrapping it up because it's the 20th anniversary of the show that uh, I sobbed during. Like it's so sad. It's about like growing up and like leaving the things you liked as a kid behind. It's very, uh, very sad. Sort of meta it sounds like in a way very too. Very meta. Yeah. Highly, highly, if you, if you need a good cry... You need to watch all of it for it to really, to really, you can still watch it, I think, on Hulu, the whole show. The other two I want to mention are a little weirder. One is Dot Hack Sign, which is a show that's a prequel to a video game series that is currently not playable on current systems. So, like, it's useless to recommend to people because it doesn't, it doesn't really do anything for them. But it holds like a, a, a special place for me because I was watching it for, it only had one run on Cartoon Network in like the middle of the night and I, I missed the last couple of episodes and someone I knew vaguely had a, a DVD copy of it and we, he was like, oh, I'll just lend it to you. And we met halfway between each other's houses we had never met really in person, I don't think. We were like internet friends, but yeah, we went to the same school. Yeah, but we went to the same school. So it was like the first time we met. And he gave me uh, the DVD and my DVD player ate it, which is 
not a thing anyone knew DVD players could do. And it took my dad like four months to get the DVD out. Um, so in that time, we had to be friends because I was holding his DVD hostage. Um, and now he's one of my best friends. He's married to my actual best friend. It's just like this weird anime about a video game. It's an MMO that if you die in the MMO, you kind of die in real life. Mm -hmm. But like that, it's not supposed to be that way. You're not supposed to die in real life if you die it's like in a haunted the MMO. Video game. Yeah. yeah, and it's creepy and it's weird, but it's it's fun. The other one is FLCL, which I don't even know if I can describe, except to tell you that it has the most amazing soundtrack. There's like, I don't, there's like a woman, maybe she's an alien or a robot. Maybe. I don't remember the exact details. She's got a Vespa. She's got, she rides around on a Vespa. It's incredibly inappropriate. I should not have been watching it in high school. Which I think is something I think a lot of like anime fans can relate to is like we watched what we could get our hands on back yeah, then. And it wasn't yeah. always. It wasn't stuff that was for kids. Yeah, and the soundtrack always stuck out in my mind because I was like one of the first shows that I encountered where like the music was like important to the show, but it was also like good and it was like poppy kind of rock that was fun to listen to while like. This woman is harassing a teenager and it, it's maybe the end of the world. I don't, I don't know that I understand the show either. It came out with many years later, I think in 2018. So I watched this in like 2003 probably. And in 2018, it came out with a sequel series that I have not watched because I am afraid the show will not hold up to my What's it called? FLCL? FLCL. Fooly Cooly. <laughs> okay how does one find this now is it on anything everything's on anything some these days i like, assume that it's it's probably on crunchyroll at the at least there's a lot of good places to get anime now crunchyroll netflix your local library your local library Hulu has a pretty good mm -hmm. yeah, selection they do. okay cool yeah it's on crunchyroll all right tori what are you into i i feel like i my my tastes in anime are on two extreme ends of a spectrum. Like I really enjoy dark psychological horror type things, dramas, but I also really like light romance and just fun, happy stuff too. So I, I guess I would recommend stuff from both sides of that spectrum. Some of my favorite shows, um, a, a classic that I really enjoy is Death Note. Um, it is the story of a teenage boy, a very intelligent teenage boy who finds a notebook on the ground. And if you write someone's name down in the notebook, they die. And so wh what you think would happen when a teenage boy has too much power happens and he goes power hungry and thinks of himself as a god and starts meeting out justice to everyone in the world indiscriminately almost. Um, and so all of the governments of the world hire a detective to try to figure out who's doing it and stop him and the detective is a quirky man named l who loves to eat sweets and is just a weirdo and so it becomes sort of like this battle of the wills between these two like hyper intelligent personalities who admire and respect each other in a way but also want to destroy each other mm -hmm. um and there's death gods and pop star like there's so much 
to it, but it's an excellent mystery and it's a very dark mystery. And even though it's intense and mature, I would say it's it's intended for teenagers. So I think it's appropriate for teenagers. So um, that's a really fun one. And if you watch it in English, it has some really famous memes that have persevered through times. He eats a bag of potato chips angrily and everyone remembers it forever. But Death Note, I would definitely recommend. Um, another one I, I like a lot is Darker Than Black, which is another sort of dark psychological show. Um, and it's a little bit of a sci-fi take on um, these two gates show up in the world, Heaven's Gate and Hell's Gate. And once the gates show up, people turn into what are called contractors, where they sort of lose their humanity and are able to do superhuman things, but they have to pay a cost every time they do the thing. So maybe you can run at the speed of light, but you have to break your thumb every time you want to do it. And so people sort of look down in society on these contractors, um, but they are trying, some of them are trying to just live their lives and disguise themselves as humans. And some of them are assassins trying to do dark stuff. And so it's the story of all of these things and why this happened. So also has a nice mystery aspect to it. I guess there's sort of a theme. Um, Maybe something less depressing that I would like to recommend. Um, hmm. Well, you mentioned Cardcaptor Sakura, which was created by a group that I think we both really enjoy named Clamp. It's a collective of women who write and draw manga series that frequently get turned into anime. And in addition to Cardcaptor Sakura, they did... Magic Knight Ray Earth, which is another sort of magical girl show. Um, and what were we talking about recently? We were talking about Chobits. Oh, no. Angelic Lair. Oh, yes. Angelic Lair is a great... This, this is an older show, but it's a world where you can create these dolls. They're called angels, I think. Um, they come in an egg. It's a toy. And you hatch the egg, and then you can design the doll to look like whatever you want. And then you battle them, sort of like Beyblades or any sort of thing like that where you have a toy that you battle together. And this girl in the story designs her doll and she wants to get to the top and battle. But all of these shows share a universe together. So they're making references to other shows that occur that were written by Clamp. Um, so I think, I don't know if there's a direct crossover with card cappers, but... Um, one of the characters from Magic Knight Ray Earth, the girl in Angelic Lair, designs her doll to look like that character because it's a show in her world that she can watch on TV. Oh, so cool. there's a lot of Easter eggs and crossovers and throughout every single, they've written like 20 different series at this point, and they all are connected. So anything by them is very cool and I would, I would personally recommend. Nice. Very, we, we've covered all the bases, I think, of anime there. And there's so many genres we didn't even hit because there's unlimited anime genres. Yeah. Um, okay, let's take another break. And when we come back, we can talk about the show we all watched. Yeah. Angels would have been a good segue mm. into that. Yeah. Way to go, Tori. <laughs> <laughs> Whoops. <laughs> you had it right there. Um, so when we come back, yeah, that's a little preview, I guess. We're going to talk about Neon Genesis Evangelion. Okay, we are back. So... We all watched a show called Neon Genesis Evangelion, or Evangelion, however you want to pronounce it. Nobody really knows, not even the creator. 
Um, this show came out in 1995. The creator is Hideki Anno. Is that Hideaki it? Anno. Hideaki Anno. Hideaki Anno. Um, this show, I think it's safe to say, is one of, if not the most acclaimed animated series maybe ever. Definitely a classic. Definitely a classic. Stone Cold classic. It's getting the... the between. I don't want to get ahead of myself. I almost gave it this Between the Shelves stamp of approval wow i don't want to get i don't want to get alex has revealed his opinion of of evangelion early on does stuff does stuff not get the stamp of approval yeah it's either put in the trash can (laughs) of the void and to never be discussed again or it's given the he did do a whole segment of things people recommended that he didn't like so definitely some stuff doesn't get the stamp of it gets the stamp of disapproval yeah so i don't want to bury the lead i really really enjoyed this show um and I will say, um, I don't usually watch shows, which is why I've talked about this on previous episodes. I prefer movies just as a medium in general. And I think I even suggested this for the podcast that we all watch and review it. Um, but then I quickly changed my mind when I realized that would entail me watching an entire show. Um, but Tori, you, you were adamant that we watch this and I fought you on it quite a bit, um, but I am so glad I, I watched it because I really, really enjoyed this, Yay. this series. Do we want, should we give like a brief summary of what it's about? Yeah, I, I wrote a very quick uh, description, but this show defies explanation. So I'm, I'll say what I have prepared and then you can add to it. So the show takes place 15 years after what's called the Second Impact, which was a catastrophic event that wiped out most of humanity. Um, the main character, his name is Shinji Ikari. He's a 14-year-old boy who is summoned by his father to Tokyo 3, which is a rebuilt version of Tokyo. It's a massive underground hyper-technological city. Um, he's summoned to the city to be part of what's called the EVA Project, which his father heads. Uh, the EVA Project is this giant I, I was going to say government-led, but it's really the whole world. Paramilitary. Paramilitary project where they built these giant biotech robots that are multi-story, multi-stories tall. They call, they're called EVAs, or short abbreviated EVAs, which Shinji will pilot one of these EVAs, he's told. Um, and the reason they have these is to defend the world from these massive foreign beings that they have dubbed angels that are hell-bent or heaven-bent on destroying the world and causing the third impact. How did I do? I think that's a great summary. That took me a while to summarize because this show is bonkers. The only thing I would add, hijinks ensue. Oh, yeah. (laughs) (laughs) They really, things go off the rail almost immediately and get worse without fail. It only gets worse. Yeah, uh, I wouldn't classify this as a, a... uh, an upbeat laugh riot of a show. It's uh, very downer vibes. You can fit so much trauma in those robots. <laughs> I didn't think a show could be as down as it possibly could be, but this show is just on a trajectory downward. Not to say the quality is bad. This show is phenomenal. Phenomenal. But the core themes are about depression, I would say abandonment issue every character has some kind of abandonment issue identity identity uh yeah go go on i don't know any negative thing that can be a theme is in this show yeah so 
I, you can say like depression and abandonment and all of these issues are kind of like the fuel that runs the robots <laughs> in a way. And I don't even know how to start like describing the show. It, it's really so. Let me let me back up. How do you pronounce the the creators? Hideaki Anno. Hideaki Anno. He uh, was kind of one of the pioneers of, of anime. He he worked in the industry for a, a, probably a dozen years or so uh, before he got the opportunity to, to make his own show. Um, and basically, his his previous experience in working in the industry left him very depressed. He was he was in a very rough part of his life when he started creating this show. Um, and he really infused the show with his depression. Every character <laughs> is depressed, pretty much. Um, the themes of the show are about grappling with depression in like the modern era. It's about how to like make contact with other people. Um, he goes into like this whole philosophy diatribe on the hedgehog dilemma which is actually, have you, do you know what I'm... <laughs> yes. So this is an, actually a title of one of the episodes. I think it's like episode four or something. It's called The Hedgehog Dilemma, and it's all about... It kind of tees up one of the themes of the major show, which is, you know, humans... You know, we all need one another. It's part of... Because we're social animals. We need it to live. We need it to feel like we need love. But like porcupines, when they get too close to one another, they're, they hurt one another, kind of. So it's kind of like that push and pull... Uh, theme that's kind of thread through this entire story. There's also giant robots. Yeah, <laughs> lest it sounds, I mean, it's very a dark show, but to, to sort of sell it a little bit as not the most depressing thing of all time, there's, it's a great example of one of the most famous sub-genres of anime, I would say, uh, like the mech show, mechas, where there's big robots battling each other, which everyone loves to see. Um it's just in this case, there are teenagers in the robot, and the teenagers are angsty, and they will tell you about it. They're all very sad. Yes, um, we gotta sell this show. Though. <laughs> we gotta, or, so, like the sad the, teenagers and robots. Yeah, the mecha genre was has been popular for for decades before this. This wasn't the first show to do that. Gundam. It wasn't the first show to put teenagers in robots either. Um, but uh, the production quality, like I don't recall any show looking this good in the 90s like this show looks so good i think my that's sort of my favorite era of anime was in the 90s and i really i think the art style is very beautiful but this was really well done the the robots looked sleek and beautiful it's futuristic but not too futuristic I'd say I think it depends on what version you watched, because if you watch the Netflix version of it, they cleaned everything up mm. a little bit. So if you have the DVDs and you have the original like dub of it, it doesn't it looks very good, but it doesn't look as good as the Netflix ones. Something I think might be worth explaining is all of the versions of this um, and the history of why it's so popular. Yeah, it. So it came out in 1995 and was released in the U.S. with a dub where the voices were dubbed over in English a few years later. And the dub was rough, shall we say, the way that a lot of dubbed anime was back then. Um, sometimes the intent of the original dialogue wasn't always honored when they would rewrite the scripts in English. And there would just be anachronisms, things that were weird, but now we find endearing because it's something that people grew up with at the time. So people are very attached to this version of it, but now they've redone the dub 
uh, a more modern, more serious, more straightforward take on it. And that's pretty much all you can find easily online. If you go on Netflix, that's what you would see if you watched it. Um, So if you want to be a purist, an American purist, and watch it the way that people experienced it 25 years ago, you have to get old DVDs or look for Sail the Seas, Sail the High Seas, you know, and find a version of it that is older. There's also a bunch of movies that they made in between then and now that were sort of remakes or retellings or additional stories. So there's a lot of content. There's a lot of Evangelion content. Right. If you want to get the full story. Yeah. And so different ways to experience. I'll talk on that briefly. So first I should say I watched everything on Netflix. So I watched the... I first At first I watched the movies. So the entire show was remade by the creator as four movies. Sort, sort of recently. 2007 yeah. to 2021. Right. So the, the remake movies encapsulate a lot of the show... Plot-wise, they leave a lot out, but it also adds a lot to the original show, too. It completely changes the ending um, and adds a lot of stuff. So I watched the movies first, thinking this was a shortcut, so I don't have to watch the whole series now. And the movies are okay. They, they visually are stunning. I, I will say they, they look gorgeous, but the plot leaves a lot to be desired. I think Anno lost maybe a step or two uh, and maybe lost some of the magic that the original show had having seen all the movies and then realizing oh this is nothing like the original show then i went back and watched the show and i will say the show is i think much better all the characters arcs are way more flushed out i like the ending of the show the ending of the show is very controversial oh yes at the time to put it lightly i mean if you think the ending of lost or sopranos was controversial the ending of evangelion (laughs) yeah way less way more open to interpretation um, and it really builds towards a, a climax that you think is going to be end in you know with a show with big giant robots fighting big aliens you think is going to end in a big battle no the last two episodes are the, the battle is really with your mind the battle is yeah. within yourself <laughs> the battle is with you trying to contextualize what's happening <laughs> but the uh, Anna was getting death threats like he, he yeah people did not like the ending I would say it not even really controversial i mean people just did not like some people it. do love it i liked it but i'm looking at it 30 years later almost so uh, i can kind of look at it from a the lens of time uh, but at the time people were very very upset it seems so much so that two years later he made a movie where he like summarized the whole show and then redid the ending so that it made more sense i don't know how much how spoilery we want to get with it but it the I don't think you can you can spoil the show. I guess not. the The original ending of the show was very philosophical and very, what are the characters thinking and feeling? And then the remade uh, movie from a couple years later was well, here's what literally actually happened while they were thinking all of this stuff, and it shows the actual like battles and deaths and strife that they went through and external versus internal. And I guess it just depends on what you're into. Yeah, so I know it's confusing. So he made a movie called The End of Evangelion that, like you said, it rewrote the ending. Didn't rewrite it. It just did it from a different perspective, Explained it more. Yeah, it kind of walked your hand a little bit through the ending, I thought. Um, A little bit. I mean, more than the show did, at least. If you're looking for, like, a big battle at the end, the movie kind of gives it to you. 
I thought after my first viewing that it did change the ending, but now I thought about it a little bit. Like, no, it's just from a different perspective, really. It's really hard to explain, <laughs> explain to somebody who hasn't seen the show, but Christina, what were your, what were your general thoughts on the show? Um, so I did a weird thing and I watched, I watched too much. <laughs> so I watched um, the original dub and then there were a lot of episodes that I also watched the Netflix dub of um, just to kind of see what's the difference here because the original dub is more fun. Um, the characters are much more like over the top. And so it was like the angst and stuff. And I think one of the characters, Asuka specifically, uh, suffers like a real like, I don't even know how to describe it. Like I feel like they just destroy her in the Netflix dub. Um, yeah. In the original dub, she's like very sassy in your face. She's loud. She's also very German. And like, I feel like they did not really do a lot with that in the Netflix dub. Like she, she talks in German sometimes in the original dub. And I feel like her, her entire arc is sort of ruined by toning her down because you really get to see like Shinji is sad. He's sad the whole time. He's just a sad boy. And nothing is gonna change how sad that boy is. Asuka starts off just like a little more cheerful. She is also sad, but she's more, in, you know, she's screaming at everybody. She enjoys piloting her Ava, which Shinji does not. And then, you know, as her arc progresses, we actually see her get sad, like really sad, like so sad. Catatonic. Yeah. And it feels like that is sort of like an important thing to preserve. I felt like the, it was just more serious. And like for a show that has such serious topics, um, there was a lot of levity in the original dub that I think was taken out. Yeah, the show, when it starts out, there definitely are some lighter moments. One thing, I'm not really spoiling anything here, but like the main characters, who the main pilots, they're all teenagers. Um, two of them live in the same apartment and they have a very, what I'm imagining the, the original dub was a more funny dynamic. I mean, in the, the one that version that I watched, there was definitely some humor there, but it's still very dark and hostile. Uh, the, uh, Asuka, 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 her character is very brash, um, which I think fits her character. I didn't have a problem with that. So I, I would be curious to watch, maybe when I rewatch this in the future, I'll watch the original yeah. dub. She, just, she feels a lot more alive, and which makes her ending hit a lot harder. I agree. I definitely... All of her emotions are turned up to 11, whether it's negative or positive. And it can get sort of irritating to watch because she's always yelling, whether she's happy or not. But it really does, when it gets to the end and she's having this breakdown of identity like they all have... It's more extreme because it's such a opposition to what she has been for the rest of the movie. And it, it makes you realize, like, wow, things are going down. Like, it was already bad. They all live in a very negative, downer world. But if she's upset, you know it's bad type of a thing. Yeah, I think she's one of the strongest characters, regardless of whatever dub you watch in the show, because she actually has an arc. You know, the other two main pilots, Shinji is sad boy the entire time he's a sad boy. the other is ray is the other the third main pilot who has no 
real personality to speak of and is for reasons for reasons that i fully can't fully under explain she's also a little sad but she, yeah she doesn't really have like an emotional arc or emotion really at all so asuka really carries you know the group feeling i think for a lot of the show and i thought she was i again i watched the netflix dub and i thought she did have a lot of funny moments a lot of like her interaction with kaji who is an older who's the boyfriend of like their babysitter basically who's this much older man like should not be dating a 14 year old obviously but she's pining after him and i thought their interaction was really funny how she's just like constantly pining after him and he's kind of pushing her away and so in the of course in the original dub it's a little different with Kaji where he doesn't necessarily he doesn't welcome her advances but he's a lot less like pushy about being like no this is inappropriate she's there and he accepts that yeah until he doesn't until things start to get serious and then he's he takes her down a notch and is like you need to quit it uh, but he does a little bit entertain her more so and I think if I remember correctly, there's one scene where they go bathing suit shopping together. And I do believe that they change her bathing suit that she picks out from the original to the Netflix. Because she picks out like a very tiny yeah. bikini and then they have And he to... tells her no. He, he yeah. does. Yeah. He, he, but not, he's nicer about it, I think, in the original, original. where it's not as like... Over, I think that this is a problem that I think our American audiences have with anime a lot. This is a big problem in Cardcaptor Sakura. They're they're in middle school, like seventh grade, and one of the seventh graders is literally in a relationship with their teacher. I don't know how much of a big deal it it is in Japan, but here, like, it's a big deal. They did eventually sort of like retcon it a little bit. But it's still like you're watching like an 11 year old like eat her lunch with the teacher in yeah. like an off-putting way. It's so like that's sort of just always present in that show. And it's this is not the only show that that's present in. I should say this is kind of widespread in, in anime. And this show being from 1995, I mean, it, we're going back in time to a different, you know, standard of what we hold things to. So there are a lot of I wouldn't even say it's changed that much. I mean, the sexualization of children in anime, it's definitely made me uncomfortable at certain points throughout the show. They sort of lampshaded in the fourth rebuild movie where they are living in a society and there are older ladies who are helping their farming and Ray goes to help them farm, but she's in her Ava suit. And they all make comments about her Ava suit, like little revealing, especially to help us with farming. Yeah. And it's like they're in those suits. There's also other parts where they're not in their suits at all. And these are 14 year olds. Yeah. It's not even just the the teens either. I mean, their, their babysitter character, Miss, Miss Masato. Masato. Oh, yeah. That scene also is very different in the original dub, like graphically different. Not visually, but... Through audio. I think I know the scene you're talking about. Oh, with yeah. Kaji. Oh, with Kaji, with Kaji, yeah. Yeah, so I don't know if... I can't, again, I can't speak to this because I wasn't in Japan at the time. And I'm not a super weeb where I'm very familiar with <laughs> Japanese culture. So I don't know, like, what... 
how it, it was perceived in Japan at the time. But speaking from like a 2023 Western perspective, it made me very uncomfortable at a certain point. I think that is very valid. But I think, because this is, this is something that you find in anime, even stuff that is made right now. Uh, I think there's stuff that happens in, an, in anime um, that at this point can be considered tropes, like things, constants that will happen in any type of series um, that aren't necessarily representative of their society. But it's understood that in a TV show, this can happen and this is what it looks like. So there's a lot of that, like, a teen girl will be obsessed with an adult man the way that Asuka is like, Kaji, oh my god, and following him around, and he won't shut her down. Like, that's a trope relationship between characters, which doesn't make it okay, but you see it all of the time in these kinds of shows. There was... what I, I like to watch old dubs just because of the nostalgia and the weird way that they did things, but I don't know if you watched all the way to the end of every episode on the DVDs, but they would have a teaser for the next episode, and it would be a character pretty much explaining the entire plot of the next episode and then saying, come watch next time. But in For almost, fan service. Yes, in almost every single one of those little teasers, they would be like, here's what's going to happen in the next episode, and there's going to be fan service. Come and see, which fan service usually refers to like a character doing something that you will find appealing, dressing in a certain way or behaving in a certain way. And that happens a lot in the show with costumes or thing, ways that the characters interact. You could be watching a totally serious, excellent show, and suddenly you're looking up someone's skirt. Yeah. And it's such a weird dichotomy because you're enjoying it and it's really well made and mature and professional, and then they throw that in. So I think it's a very strange aspect of anime and... I don't think that it was necessary in the show. It never is. No. There was yeah. a lot that was unnecessary. Yeah, But know. they are 14-year-olds, and you're like, okay, yeah, I remember being 14. Like, all of your emotions are, like, at 45 all of the time. The 100. 145. <laughs> 145 all of the time. And it's, and it's nice to see that reflected in the show. But also... Yeah, it's... It's weird that, like, the show is so well-written. Like, all the characters are so well-developed. The animation's so good. And then it, like, it throws that, like, out of nowhere. It's just, I don't know. It's weird. It just throws you a a curveball. I don't know. But some of it, I feel like, did serve the show well in that, yes, this is a show about robots. Yes, this is a show about war. Yes, this is a show about um, internalization of trauma but also they're teenagers like being teens they're at school talking about crushes like they're being very realistic teens in the face of all of this extreme trauma that they're facing and it's sort of refreshing that they address that and acknowledge it so some of the like the dynamic between asuka and shinji the push and pull like they hate each other they're yelling at each other but you know they also kind of like each other but also they have to go kill a monster and a robot tomorrow. Like that is very interesting that they continue to have them being real teens. I think that's the big difference between the rebuild movies and the TV show is that you get to see those like real life kind of like small moments. And in the movies, it's just like, we gotta go kill another angel. Let's go. Yeah. Get in the get in the robot. 
You have to you have to get in the robot right now. You really have to you get have in the robot, to. Shinji. If you do not get in the robot, Shinji, you will be homeless and we are going to ship you off elsewhere. <laughs> That's a great I had that in my notes too. Like the show gives all the characters more room to breathe and develop. And that those are some of the strongest parts of the show in my it is the interaction between the teens. That's why I think the writing is so good because they really do capture like you said, like what it's like to be a teen, like the angst and also like the pining and like all of that stuff. Um, so it and it does serve to build Shinji's character too, because he has all these abandonment issues. Obviously, I mean, a teenage boy, like he's got stuff going on too. Like, so it's interesting that it's all like right in front of him. So, and you can kind of see how, how he's dealing with all the regular struggles of being a teen. And then, when they go to like the robot battles, like it's not just like a robot battle, like gratuitous fight for no reason. Like it, it heightens their, their internal. Yeah. It heightens their internal struggles. It just puts it on a bigger, like feel a plane to explore. I don't know. I thought that that was really well done. Do we want to talk about the music? I think this is a great time to talk about the music because one of the most iconic anime theme songs of all time is the theme song for this show even if you haven't ever watched an anime you may have heard this song just on the internet and it's a banger absolute banger this is one of the few shows where i would never skip the intro like the intro is so good you can dance to it every time you will never get tired of it all right so let's listen to a little bit a little bit of it right now it's called cruel angels thesis by yoko takahashi That song's an absolute banger. I'll put it up in like top three theme songs ever. Like it's up there with like the Cheers theme song. Oh, well, of any show. You're of saying, any show. Wow. That's I valid. mean, it's like Simpsons, Cheers, Neon Genesis Evangelion. Wow. Wow. Not even the original Pokemon theme song? That would definitely be up there too. You're right. That's, that's one of the great things about anime is there's always a great theme song. Sometimes there's more than one great theme song, like in the case of Inuyasha, where they change theme songs like every other season. And it is a great thing to link to your memory because you can listen to the song and be like, I remember when I watched 
Great music. Yeah, certified classic. Absolute banger. I was just singing that, like, cooking dinner for a month while I was watching this show, and my wife probably thought I was going crazy, but so good, so good. And fits the show well, I think. All right, so do we have any final thoughts on Evangelion? Beware. It's 26 episodes. I don't know if we mentioned that. They're each about 20 minutes, give or take. If you skip the theme song. If you skip the theme song, which but why would you? obviously Still. you wouldn't do that now <laughs> knowing. They're all Netflix, the DVDs with the original dubs, can you get them from a library? You certainly can. Okay, there you go. Uh, So let's, if we don't have any final thoughts, let's take a a quick break. And I think Tori has a game to wrap up the episode. We've got a game. We've got a game. All right, we are back. So Tori has prepared a game that uh, I have no idea how it will work. So Tori, why don't you cue this up for us? Okay, so the game that Christina and I have prepared is um, we have picked out some of our favorite anime theme songs, which is not... Alex has not so much experience with the theme song aspect of it, which is a big part of anime. So we've prepared some of our favorite theme songs. We're going to play him a clip, and he has the English translation of the lyrics in front of him. And then I'm going to give him a short description of two different shows, and Alex is going to try to guess which show is the theme song for from the song itself and the lyrics in our brief descriptions. Okay. Are you ready? I'm ready. Okay. Let me pull up our first clip. Alex, are you ready? I am ready. at the end okay Okay. so i'm gonna give you two descriptions my heart is a kaleidoscope (laughs) is the last lyric (laughs) so the two options here are this is either the theme song for sailor moon or for full moon wosagashite sailor moon is a story of an ordinary teenage girl who learns that she's not as ordinary as she might think she's actually able to transform into the celestial soldier sailor moon and with her team of sailor scouts and faithful female companions by feline companions and with her faithful feline companions by her side she's destined to find the missing moon princess and protect the earth from the forces of evil and then full moon wasagashite a chronically ill 12 year old girl has long dreamed of becoming a singer despite her ill health but when she's visited by two death spirits she knows that she's running out of time to reach her goals she makes a deal with them they give her the power to transform into a 16 year old and a year to become a singing sensation and they will be allowed to take her soul once the time is up so which one do you think i am going to say these lyrics are not helping at all by the way i'm looking <laughs> at the translation um i'm going to say that's sailor moon you are correct yeah if you want to know in the english lyrics at one point it goes she is the one called sailor moon they're very explicit that, that it's sailor moon <laughs> But that's why we didn't give you that version. Uh, that is Moonlight Densetsu is the name of that song. Okay, song number two. Okay, 
So here are your two options. Headbanger. It's a great anime theme songs bring us all together. Um, So that is either the theme song for Kill La Kill or Fushigi Yugi. Kill La Kill is the story of yet another teenage girl in search of her father's killer. She arrives at a new school to see if she can solve the mystery of his death. Armed with a giant scissor blade and a talking school uniform, she'll have to battle her way through the devious student council who have superpowered uniforms of their own to get to the bottom of things. Or Fushigi Yugi. A teenage girl is accidentally transported to the past while reading an enchanted library book. Trapped in ancient China, she now has to gather seven celestial warriors in order to find her way home, but she'll have to deal with true love and devastating betrayals along the way. Hmm. What was the sec for Shigi Yugi? Mm-hmm. I'm going to go with that. And you are correct. Two out of two. Fushigi Yugi, a.k.a. A Mysterious Play. Uh, and the song is Itushihito no Tame Ni, or For the Sake of My Beloved. Okay. Your description was very uh, poetic. Oh, I would, it's more poetic than the, the first description, and <laughs> it matched the lyrics a little bit more. Yeah, I think if you... Very, the lyrics are very vague and uh, flowery. And mysterious. Yes. The mysterious play. Okay, third song... I think it's time we blow this scene, get everybody in the stuff together. Okay, three, two, one, it's jam. This is my jam right here. Okay, so your two options here are this is either Death Note or Cowboy Bebop. You don't even have to say the description. That's Cowboy Bebop. It sure is Cowboy Bebop. But I wrote a great description of it. It's only one sentence. I'm sorry. Uh, All right. Forget I said that. I'll just give you hers because it is good. A group of bounty hunters travel through space searching for fugitives. Plus jazz. Plus lots of jazz. I I didn't want to put plus jazz, but I thought that would just give it away. So that song is Tank, performed by the Seatbelts and composed by Yoko Kano. And also, uh, the other option for this question was supposed to be... uh, Darker Than Black, which is a show that I enjoy. The score is also composed by Yoko Kano, so you could watch both of those and get as much jazz as you could dream of having. I've never seen Cowboy Bebop, but I am absolutely going to watch it, and I am willing to watch it for another podcast episode if we do anime number two. If we aren't, I'm going to watch it anyways, because I've always wanted to watch it. You will watch it either way. Yes. Sounds good. Okay, this is the final song. Uh, This is the ultimate test. I was not given lyrics for this song. You're doing incredibly well. You have three out of three so far. So you are... All of the English versions of the songs I wanted to use had the name of the property in them, like the Digimon theme <laughs> song. Just a Digimon in it. Card captors. Has the word card captors in Hamtaro, she Hamtaro. mentioned. Hamtaro. Okay, so here is the last one. <laughs> No, not my jam. No. Do not like do not like this song. Not the rock. 
Okay, so that one's not Alex's gem, but let's see if you can guess what it is. So this is either the theme song for Death Note or Inuyasha. Death Note, after finding a special notebook belonging to a death demon, a teenage boy decides to use the notebook's killing powers to punish those who offend his warped sense of justice. The world's top detective engages in a battle of wits to identify and stop the killer. Or Inuyasha, a teenage girl is transported back to feudal Japan where she befriends a dog demon and his crew. Before she can come home, they have to gather all of the pieces of a mysterious crystal and perhaps she falls in love along the way. I'm going to say Death Note. Wow. Four for four. Whoa! <laughs> you are officially the master of anime theme songs. I can match I can match vibes to vibes. You can match vibes. I was a DJ in a past life. Oh, that's true. Well, good job, Alex. Yay! You win. All right. Well, that's all we got for the anime episode. I hope you liked it. I hope you learned a little bit about anime. I certainly did. Stay tuned for next episode where we're going to talk about what we're into. And I'll be joined by Tori and Christina again. Bye. Bye.